Good morning, Hope Church. How y'all doing on this lovely summer day? Huh? We're done with that snow stuff, right? Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. But hey, I'm I'm excited to be here this morning. I'm excited to uh, to share from God's word. It's it's such a privilege to do that with you guys. And today I am going to begin with a question. And it may seem like a relatively simple question. And my question is this. What is the most quoted verse in the Bible? Right? I mean, it seems like a really straightforward question. And I hear all you guys say John 3.16. And John 3.16 is an awesome verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's awesome. That's the gospel, right? But that's not the most often quoted verse in the Bible. Number one these days is Matthew 7.1. Now, without looking it up, can anyone tell me what Matthew 7.1 says? Interesting. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Yeah. That is the most often quoted verse in the Bible. It is also the most misunderstood. See, people, when they're quoting this, really what they're saying is, you know, you don't have the authority to decide whether or not my actions are right or wrong. And they say this even if their actions are unbiblical. Now, that isn't to say that we aren't to have discernment with regard to other people's behaviors. Absolutely. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But see, this, this verse is, is it's so often used to repel anyone who disagrees with us. Right? Because we know, right? We know and we want things the way we want them. Or or people use this to deflect accountability for a failure. Or maybe maybe moral responsibility, right? They want to justify their behaviors. They want to justify their sin. So it really begs the question, what exactly does this verse mean? Well, we've talked about this before in the past, and I've tried to impress upon you guys the importance of context, right? Context matters. So no passage of Scripture can be isolated from its context and be fully understood. You've heard me talk before about systematic theology. You've heard that term before. And really that speaks to looking at the totality of Scripture to understand all of what the Bible teaches on any given subject. Only then can we make determinations about what a specific passage is saying. See, because if we we just pull something out and we use it the way we want to use it, that's called proof texting. And proof texting is what gets people in trouble. And we see this happen quite often. People use this 
in particular to justify their behaviors, right? To justify their desires, to justify their sin. So today, we're going to dig into the context of this oft-quoted Bible verse to better understand what Jesus is teaching us when he says, do not judge or you too will be judged. And in this context, as we search here, guess what we're going to find? A question. A question. Jesus asks a question. If you recall, we are in a series of messages exploring the questions that Jesus asked. And what we're discovering through this series is that, yeah, Jesus asked a lot of questions, right? But he asked them with specific intent. He asked them in order to know and connect deeply with people. Through his questions, Jesus teaches and he leads us on a journey of self-discovery. So these questions are relevant for us. Yes, Jesus asked them of people some 2,000 years ago, but they're recorded here for us to wrestle with today. Because through them we grow. Through them we grow in the knowledge of God. And if we're really, really honest with ourselves, and that's what I want us to be, is really honest with ourselves, we will grow in our knowledge of ourselves we will become more self-aware. And that can be a really scary thing, because I know me. So our question for today, obviously, is found in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at the first five verses of Matthew chapter 7. So if you want to turn in your Bibles there. And the question that Jesus asks is, why don't you see the log in your eye? And this question may seem a bit absurd, but what Jesus is doing here is he's using hyperbole. He's exaggerating to make a point. And we'll get to that in just a few minutes. But what we first want to do is we want to explore the context in which we find this particular passage. So this is a portion of the infamous Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount begins at Matthew 5, verse 1, goes all the way through to the end of chapter 7. And in this teaching that Matthew records for us here in these chapters, Jesus presents his followers, in other words, he's presenting us with a very challenging, but a very practical ethic that we are expected to live by. And that's a tall order. We get that. And we can't live up to this perfectly. And that's what drives us to trust in Christ, right? That's what drives us to trust in the righteousness of Christ. We can't do this. But what Jesus is teaching us here in these chapters, he's teaching us what it looks like to live as followers of Christ in this world. By the way, did you notice that the teaching from last week actually fit into our series? Did you know that? What did you talk about last week? Being salt, right? Get salty. And while it wasn't emphasized, in there, in that passage, Jesus asked a question as well. 
right? We're supposed to be salt and light in the world. And Jesus asked, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Get salty. Be the salt and light in the world. There's one other thing that we really want to take note of when we look at context. And, and who, who was the audience that Jesus was speaking to? Well, we know that it was his disciples, right? They were there. And the teaching was kind of mainly for them. But Jesus had a whole crowd of people that came to listen to what he had to say. But who else was in that crowd? Pharisees, right? The Pharisees were there listening. And what do we know about the Pharisees? And did they judge? Did they criticize? Did they condemn? Absolutely. So Jesus is poking the religious leaders as well. So again, verse 1 says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. Now, up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' focus has really kind of been on the interior spiritual life. He's been talking about things like attitudes on giving, on prayer, on fasting, on materialism, on anxiety, anxiety about material things, being salt and light in the world, right? Now his focus turns more to relationships. Relationships, in other words, how we think of and treat one another. And the warning, no, 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 really this is a command. This is a command. The command is to not judge others. Like we said just a few moments ago, most of the people who quote this verse, they really don't understand what Jesus is saying. They think or hope that Jesus is commanding acceptance, right? Acceptance of, of really any lifestyle or any teaching. But we know that that can't be right because just a few verses later in Matthew chapter 7, in 16 and 17, he says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. And then Jesus asks another question. I love it, right? Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So Jesus is telling us that, yes, we should be discerning, right? We should be discerning according to their fruit. He says, by their fruit, you will know them. So Really, some sort of discerning, some sort of assessment is necessary. But that is not what Jesus is warning against here. No, Jesus is warning against this, this kind of universal tendency that we have to judge and condemn others. Rather than approaching them in love with the goal of restoration. You know, so often we judge, we judge without having all the information, right? Oh, we know. Oh, yeah. 
We know. We think we know. So we fill in the blanks in the narrative with what we think we know. Because we want things the way we want them, even if we don't completely understand. And here's a question for you. How often do we break this command? Unfortunately, I think it happens a lot more than we care to admit. You may have done it already today. You may have judged that guy that cut you off on your way here. You may have judged someone that you greeted this morning. You may be judging me right now. Why didn't he wear some nicer clothes? I mean, my gosh, that guy last week, he wore a suit coat. You know? Why didn't he get his hair cut or or shave or something? We judge. We judge. Honestly, it reminds me of a story that Stephen Covey tells in his book, Seven Habits for Highly Effective People. In that book, Stephen Covey tells the story of a man who's riding on a bus. And on the bus, there's this child, and this child is just running amok. He's up and down the aisles, yelling, screaming, laughing. And the father's sitting there doing nothing, staring out the window. Well, the other man begins to notice some things about the father. He's all disheveled, you know, and his hair is a mess. That guy's probably homeless. His eyes are all bloodshot. He says, this, this, this guy, he's probably an alcoholic. Finally, the man has enough. And he goes to the father and he demands that he do something about this unruly child. And the father's like snapped out of this trance. He apologizes and he says, the boy's mother, my wife, just died in the hospital after having struggled for life all night long. And I'm just trying to figure out how to break the news to the boy. Do we judge without having all the information, without having all the facts? Unfortunately, we do. But why? Why do we do this? I think there's a lot of reasons, but it certainly has something to do with the fact that it's part of our sinful nature, right? We know, and we know how we want things to be, and that's how we try to make them. And, you know, when we're judgmental and we criticize, then we feel better about ourselves. We make ourselves look better by pointing out the failures of others. That's pride. That's pride. And there are some people, believe it or not, that enjoy tearing down another person and watching them suffer. Is that any different than murder? Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that no, it's no different than murder. 
Judgment and criticism also, as we said before, helps us to justify our actions and to justify our desires. Really to justify our sin. Pointing out the faults of others attempts really to show how good we are. Look at how pious I am. That's self-righteousness. And sometimes, friends, it's just plain revenge. They hurt me, so I'm going to hurt them. And that's unforgiveness. And Jesus says, don't do that. Not in my kingdom. Jesus says, love one another. That is his command to all of us. You know, when I, when I fail, when I sin, and I do, ask my wife, she'll tell you. But when I fail... I want mercy. And I want forgiveness. And I'm guessing that you all want that too. Why then, when we see it all around us, do we tend to prefer justice and condemnation? See, we need each other. Friends, we need each other. The body of believers, this church, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need each other. We need to bear with one another. We need to pray for one another. Ephesians 4.15 tells us to speak the truth in love. Because when we do that, Paul goes on to tell us, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head. And who is the head of the church? It's Christ, right? But see, if we judge, if we judge, friends, all we're going to see is division and destruction. I want you to think for a moment about a time when you were judged, when you were condemned. Did it accomplish the goal that that person intended? Probably not. Unless their goal was to tear you down and see you suffer. And that's not biblical. That's not biblical at all. And that's exactly what Jesus is addressing here. Judgment and condemnation. It only leads to destruction. The goal, friends, is restoration and building up, not tearing down. Again, we look to what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4. There he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Later on in that same chapter, he says our speech should be only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that they may benefit those who listen. Speaking the truth in love, in love leads to unity. But judgment and condemnation will lead only to destruction. 
And, and in verse 2, Jesus says, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So, look, if we live with this, this spirit of, of judgment, right? Constantly criticizing and condemning others, guess what? That's pretty much what you can expect in return. Now, I understand that that's not biblical either, but look, if you keep approaching others with criticism, eventually they're going to bite back. But really, more importantly, what Jesus is referring to here is the judgment with which God will judge us. God will measure us according to the same measure we use for others. Tell me that's not a motivation for treating others with forgiveness and mercy and grace. You know, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 2. He says, you, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever you point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Paul's saying, don't think that you got it all together because you don't. You don't. Don't look down on others with judgment because you do the same things. Oh, maybe not exactly the same things, but you sin. You sin and you're just as bad as that person that you're judging and condemning. Paul goes on in that same chapter to say, now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Friends, God lavishes His love and His kindness upon us. He bears with us, doesn't He? He's patient with us. So how do we treat others? Do we treat them with bitterness and judgment? With criticism and condemnation? Or we show them the love of God. Are we kind? Are we patient? Do we humble ourselves? Do we speak the truth in love? As we continue in these verses in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus asks our question, for today. Actually, he asks two questions in a row. Jesus does that a lot. He likes to ask back-to-back questions. And he gives us an object lesson. And he uses a bit of hyperbole to make his point. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank 
in your own. Now, tell me that Jesus doesn't have a sense of humor. I mean, he, he proves it right here in this passage, right? Because he's creating a word picture in our minds. And if you haven't done it yet, I want you to do this. I want you to, to think of yourself as walking around with a plank in your eye. Some translations use the word beam or log. I don't care which. Think about that. Now, you can't help but think about that and kind of have a little smile on your face, right? Jesus is using a little bit of humor here. But he's also making a very important point. Can we actually see with a log in our eye? Can we? No. No. And with this picture, Jesus is pointing out the problem. See, we tend to be unaware to some degree. We tend to be blinded to our own very obvious faults. We're blinded to our plank, our log. We are far more tolerant of our own sin than we are of the sins of others. Amen? It's true. It's true. A great example of this is found in John chapter 8 when the religious leaders brought the woman who was caught in adultery, right? You may know the story. They wanted Jesus to condemn this woman. They wanted Jesus to judge this woman. As a matter of fact, they had already judged and condemned her themselves. And look, the woman had sinned. There's no question about that. But it was the sin of the religious leaders that was far worse. Because they were judging, they were condemning. They were sitting in the judgment seat that belongs only to God. But Jesus exposes their hearts, right? He exposes their plank. He exposes their sin when he says, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. So how can we help a brother or sister if we don't first deal with our own blindness, our own sin? That's why Jesus says in verse 5, you hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See friends, our hypocrisy is almost always more evident to others, right? than it is to ourselves. We, we find ways to ignore the plank in our own eye. We find ways to ignore our own sin, but boy, we notice the faults in others immediately. And we're quick to point them out. And we focus on the negative. We focus on the worst in people. good example of this hypocrisy is found in 2 Samuel chapter 12. We read there about David's reaction to Nathanael's story of a man who unjustly stole and killed another man's lamb. Right? David judged that man and David condemned that man. But his sin was greater. 
Look, Jesus doesn't say that we shouldn't help each other with the specks in our eyes. As a matter of fact, he calls us to do that. But we don't do that before we deal with the plank, the log in our own eye. Friends, judgment, condemnation, criticism, that all focuses on the negative. Jesus tells us to focus on the positive. He commands us to treat each other with love. Love one another. I think we've all heard the very popular passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where Paul talks about love, right? Talks about love. You, you hear it at weddings all the time. But here's the thing, okay? Paul, in that passage, he isn't giving instructions to husbands and wives. Oh yes, it's wonderful for husbands and wives to love each other like that. But in that passage... In that context, who is Paul talking to? Anybody? He's talking to the church, right? He's talking to the brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is who we are. And Paul describes the kind of love that we should have for one another. That love is patient, kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, it's not proud, It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Friends, does that describe our church? I pray. I pray that it would. I pray that it would. you having trouble seeing the good in others? The question really is, do you see the log in your own eye? Friends, we each need to deal with our own sin before we can help others. We need to take that sin, we need to give it to God. We need to let God take that log away so that we can see clearly. And then we approach others in love. You know, Philo of Alexandria once wrote, Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And that's true. We're all fighting the same battle. We're all in this together. None of us is perfect. None of us is righteous. Not one. And the truth is, we all need God. We all need his forgiveness, and his cleansing from sin. And friends, God sent his son that we might have that forgiveness and that mercy and that grace. We're saved by that grace. Amen? And it's that same grace that we are called to, no, we are commanded to show to others. Do not judge or you too may be judged. You will be judged. You know, Jesus really summed it all up in verse 12 in Matthew chapter 7. 
He says, so everything, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Do we want to be treated with judgment and condemnation and criticism? Probably not. So then we shouldn't treat others with judgment and condemnation and criticism. Friends, it is my prayer that we would all ask Jesus to search our hearts. Ask God to get the log out of our eyes and then approach each other in love. We don't want to stop discerning. We do not want to stop discerning. But when we discern the actions and decisions of others, I pray that we do it not with a critical spirit. Because if we do, chances are God is going to do the same with us. So the next time you're tempted to be judge, jury, and executioner of someone else, let's remember that God will use the same measure against us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you with praise and thanksgiving. And Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts, work in our minds to change us, Lord. May we not judge others. May we treat them the way that you would treat them, with mercy and grace and forgiveness, kindness, patience, all those things Paul talks about. Lord, give that to our hearts. Lord, give us your heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.